Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. It's time for you and those you love to step off the addiction roller coaster for good and learn a solution that works. It's called Move Past Addiction Masterclass, and it's a free one hour live online class where you'll hear new and empowering information about how to solve addiction for good without steps, meetings, rehabs, or being labeled for life. If you're struggling or you love someone who is, then this masterclass is for you. To enroll in this free one-hour class, click the link provided or go to thefreedommodel.org and choose the date and time that works for you. See you at the masterclass. Hey, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> this is our first podcast of what the heck year is it? 2024. 2000. That's so crazy to me. A quarter of a century nearly, <laughs> nearly has gone by since uh, the big, you know, millennial change. I know. I know. Do you remember when you were young? Like when I was a kid, I can remember in the 80s thinking, how old will I be in 2000? Oh, I know. I'm going to be 32 in 2000. Well, right? I, re I remember I remember getting my driver's license when I was 16 and thinking, looking at it for the first time and going, oh, it expires in four years. I'll be 20. <laughs> I, <laughs> I was such a kid. I'm like, oh, my God. But um, we're going to talk about something that's a nuanced thing. But we have to do one thing first. Okay. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. We almost forgot. <laughs> so here we are in the new year. And we have a couple wonderful things that we created last year that have right now, the one of them, the, the master class, the free master class, um, we've had, wow, probably maybe a thousand people oh, yeah. over, over six months. Yeah. Over, over a thousand people have attended. Yeah. Our master classes, those are free. We offer them every single week uh, for the month of January. They're every Wednesday. And, um, so you can go, you can click on the, I have to go that way. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you can, if you're on your PC, you can put your phone right up to that QR code and it'll take you right in so you can register or enroll in that masterclass. You can do that um, right now. Right now. And if you can't attend it live because it's at noon time, we try to make it so that most people can attend, but it's at noontime Eastern. We're in New York state in the USA. So, um, you can adjust accordingly to what time that is for you. Uh, you can watch it later. You, you got to enroll first. If you want to be able to watch the replay, you got to enroll in the masterclass. Yeah. So just click on the QR code or, or go to the freedommodel.org and, uh, you'll see the free masterclass. Click, click on the link, register, and then you can watch it anytime you want the replay. Now, I think 
this the newest product we just released. We just released it at the end of the year. Um, I think the the audience that listens to this podcast, you're gonna love it. It is our 12-step deprogramming course. It's a standalone course. It is offered within the online program, um, but but it, we had a lot of requests for people to do it separately. Yeah. So um, some people haven't uh, haven't become a part of the Freedom Model Online program, right? And but yet they want they want to test out what we're thinking because they're new to this. And so a lot of people that want to test it out are in AA or are mm. in NA or other 12-step groups. And they're in what I call recovery purgatory, which is a terrible place to be, which is you're in the 12-step paradigm. You're, you've, you have a couple of friends there, but you don't like the idea of being powerless. You don't like being shamed. You don't like being coerced. You don't like being told what to do. You don't like the the controlling nature of it the weird cult practices of holding hands saying prayers surrendering your will mm. to god all this weird stuff and but but you feel like you're supposed to be doing this aa thing you're supposed to be in recovery you're supposed to have the 12 steps be a part of your life you you feel like there has to be some formal thing you need to be doing to get over your drug or alcohol problem and so you're in this weird place well what the deprogramming uh, from the 12 steps course does is it gives you all the background, all of it and why it was created, why it's a cult and why, uh, you should leave and move on with your life. If that's what you want. Um, it sets you free. Yeah. It, it sets you free. So yeah, you can see exactly. the actual backstory of AA and how this whole thing started, this whole addiction, disease, 12-step treatment paradigm emanated from this one dude and, and who the heck was he? Yeah. So I, I, and, and the way we designed it is you'll get a flavor and the details of who he was as an individual and why he created this thing and why you don't need this. No. Ultimately, it's why you don't need this and why you can be free to move on with your yeah. life and find other ways and avenues and paths to get out from under your substance use problem. So that's a huge thing that we created. Um, we just sent an email to our email group and uh, that tied in the, the entire year. And I didn't realize, you know, Michelle and I are so focused on what we're doing all the time that I didn't realize that we had created eight new programs for people um, in the last year. And it's just such a massive, comprehensive effort that we put in. And we also, I wrote the first rough draft of the second edition of the text right here, the, the book, The Freedom Model for Addictions. And I've passed that on to Steve and he's working on it. So this year we're going to be working heavy duty on that. Yep. So that got done as well. So we're very excited about the future. We're very excited about offering affordable ways and free ways for you to get past this problem. Yes. Um, and go to thefreedommodel.org to learn all the free ways you can do it and also all the affordable ways if you need more or more intense help. Yes. So now we'll get to our topic for our, our, our first podcast of the new year. We want to talk about um, behavioral addictions because we've had a lot of requests for them, but but the roots of them and why the whole idea of behavioral addictions even came to be because, because the premise of it, the underlying premise of it is powerlessness, right? 
it's this idea that so so when Bill Wilson said, um, you know, in the first step, it says I'm powerless, powerless over alcohol, and alcohol is cunning, baffling, and powerful. Well, it, it it's not implying that alcohol. Well, it is. You know, we say that it's implying that alcohol is this powerful entity that's going to come and take over your life, right? And I mean, how absurd is that? I mean, if I if I poured vodka in this cup. Like, and I just set it right, set it right there where you can see it, set it right there. Like what's going to happen. Right. So, so there's this, so, so in order to understand behavioral addictions, we have to start with the root of where the idea of powerlessness came from, which is in substance use, quote unquote, addiction or compelled use of substances. Now, let me tell you why we have, so we have to start there. Then we'll get to the behavioral part of being uh, powerless over your thoughts because behavioral addictions are the idea that you are powerless to stop yourself or from, it supersedes your free will from doing whatever act, certain whether, activities, right? Shopping, pornography, watching pornography, whatever, masturbation, right? Um, yeah, uh, cheating, whatever it is. I right. mean, everything now is it, it, it powerlessness is a slippery slope. So now anything using lip balm, anything now can be seen as an addiction. So where did this strange idea that human beings can be taken over by some other force come from? Now, throughout human history, there's there's been ideas that things take over the human psyche. In the old kingdom, right, in 2,000, 4,000 years ago, they believed that demons took you over. Mm. Um, so when you had disease, they felt that, that a demon had taken over. It was a misattribution, right? It, it was a spiritual warfare sort of idea. Um, we now know that that's bacteria and viruses, right? As an example. Yes. So, so, but with substance use, Bill Wilson came along in 1935 and he said, and he started formulating this idea around 1929. So for about five years, he was thinking about how to create this cult. And what he did was he took the sensation of alcohol and he personified it and made it into a living entity by calling alcohol cunning, baffling, and powerful. And so he, he made that happen. He made that idea, that propaganda commonplace, mainstreamed well, it, was a, it. It was a demon of sorts, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so by personifying, by making it have motive to destroy you, it creates fear. Now, how is it possible that that idea took off? Because it's so on its face ridiculous, right? But, but then if you think about it, the reason it took root is because alcohol and substances are things you actually physically take into your flesh. It's actually in your blood when you drink it, inhale it, shoot it, whatever it might be. So you have this thing that happens to you physically. And right. then you conflate that idea or that sensation with the idea, the mental idea, the emotional realm that I am powerless over this sensation. Mm. So that makes it believable because something is actually happening to you. Now, I'm gonna fast forward to behavioral addictions. They don't have that physical part. They don't have something that goes, is inserted inside of your bloodstream. That's not already there. That's not already there, that's correct. 
you know, people might argue orgasm, but no, that's and natural. Dopamine and all yeah. that stuff. But yeah, that's, that's all already internal to you. That's right. And and these drugs or experiences don't biohack you. That's been proven over and over again. So you have to toss out those ideas, which we'll get to in a minute. Um, so so with the substance use issue, it's a very complex thing that <laughs> that we need to look at and simplify a bit. And that is you have a physical sensation that is very real. Um, drink enough and you'll be stumbling, right? You'll, you'll literally feel numb. You'll feel hot. Your blood pressure goes up. You do cocaine. Your blood pressure goes up. Your heart rate rises. More blood flow goes into your brain. Your processor speed increases. Alcohol, heroin, those drugs, your processing speed slows down. But it doesn't go into the realm of the mind. But Bill Wilson said it did. So suddenly we now interpret this physical sensation in a very magical way. And we attribute all this beauty and wonder and amazing and also demonic, terrible and destructive. We, we attribute all of that to this magical drug experience. So it gets very confusing and rightfully so, because you do actually have something physical happening. Right. That wasn't that, happening before. Right. That, that, and you may like it. And then we attach the word addiction and compulsion. And suddenly now you're out of control. The drug has power. You don't. And the propaganda has been fulfilled. And then you fulfill your own prophecies constantly, daily. Maybe you build a habit and it's this confounding, brutal thing that you feel is happening to you. All based on an idea of one guy a long time ago who said that alcohol has the power and you don't. Once you marry the physical to the emotional and then you do it in this propagandized way, well, you're in real trouble. You'll feel addicted. But behavioral addictions don't have that. Nope. They don't, they don't have something in your bloodstream. They don't have something changing your, your, your brain tissue. People say, oh, well, it, brain, it, it, it biohacks my brain in that all habits do. Well, all habits do. We that's all, right. Right. Learning changes your brain. Yeah. <laughs> all learning processes. Yeah. So change your brain. Yes. Yeah, so. I mean, you could say that walking is an addiction. I've said that for years. <laughs> that breathing is an addiction. <laughs> right. Right. But but if you but if you are mindful, you can stop yourself from breathing. Right. And you can stop yourself from walking. So so there's this. But that doesn't mean that the brain hasn't changed. Of course, the brain has changed and adapted because and adapted because it always does. Yeah. It's a constantly evolving organ. And there's nothing wrong with that. We also know that when people take enough drugs that they eventually stop. We know that 99% of methamphetamine users stop, for example. Right. So 99 out of 100 heavy users stop whether they're treated or not. At the height of brain change. Yep. So brain changes don't mean shit. So you got to get all the biohacked idea out of your head. It doesn't matter. The numbers don't bear it out. 91% of drinkers, 96% of uh, uh, marijuana users, 98% of cocaine users, 96% of heroin users. They all get over the problem. So we got to stop acting like biochemistry is running us. That's fucking ridiculous. It's, it's just not true. It's just not true. So... So with, but with behavioral quote unquote addictions, we now believe that we can't stop ourselves because yeah. we are biohacked and addicted. And that is that, 
I want to say Stephen posted something. He tweeted, but I don't think it's called tweeting anymore, right? It's it's X now. Yeah. So he whatever Xed <laughs> this article where the um, the head of Weight Watchers was quoted as basically saying, "Our biggest competition is people thinking they can do it on their own." Okay, that's our biggest competition is people believing they can. Lose, lose weight, weight on, on, on their own. And I, I couldn't believe they said it. I couldn't believe she said it out loud. I was like, well, that's wow. that's brutally honest. I mean that's corporate suicide. That, because, but 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 here's the implication. And I and I it, the sad part about it is mo I think many people would think, well, people can't. Yeah, well, that is her point. That 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 was the point. It was that um like people don't know the number one way people lose weight is on their own. The number one way they change their relationship with food. It's the same thing with, with respect to substance use, the number one way. And the thing about food is, you know, and I can remember saying this 30 years ago. Okay. When I was early in AA and I remember thinking, cause I had, you know, I, my whole life, I was, I had struggled with my weight since I was a little girl. I was always kind of chubby. And, um, but then I became like a super athlete and, and, but I never really like the seventies and eighties, nobody gave a shit about what they were eating. Um, so you really didn't pay attention, but, but, you know, things started to change in the nineties. And I remember saying in the nineties when I was in early sobriety, because I, and I was, I was, my life was changing. I wasn't spending three hours a day at the gym or running. I was now, you know, starting a family and a career and all this stuff saying, you know, how do, how do people lose weight? You can't give up food. And I wasn't, I wasn't saying it because I was wondering how to lose weight. I was saying it because I was like, why do I have to be totally abstinent from alcohol? Like, like I don't, I don't, that moderation is a thing. It's a thing for everything. Cause my mother used to say that she used to say moderation in everything we do. You should be moderate about everything. And, and that's always a choice, right? Even though she got involved in Al-Anon and kind of bought into the, the it was easy to buy in back then to the, because of what Mark said, because of the alcohol thing, because you were ingesting something and it felt like it changed you. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. But Mark predicted this. He predicted that all these behavioral addictions way back when, when he was like, if we're, if we say we're powerless over the, the actual act of ingesting alcohol, then why, why aren't we powerless over everything? Yeah. And so it's created this massive industry and this sad, sad state of affairs where people believe that they, they have no control over their own minds. And, and ultimately that's what Bill Wilson's legacy is all about is, is convincing people that, um, th there's a straw man out there, some force, some nebulous thing called addiction, where we lose control of our own minds. Here's the wild part. Michelle said it best. Everybody, everybody adjusts their use, their quote unquote addictions, their habits, they adjust them to circumstance, set and setting, yes. all kinds of things. And then they they may get formal help or they may not get formal help. Uh, they may take medications or they may not take medications. They may go to meetings or they may not go to meetings. They do all these things, these formal things. But in the end, 
what's running the decision to do that is your mind. So yep. ultimately, in order for you to stay on your Suboxone regimen, if you believe in that active placebo, that you believe that that is necessary for you to overcome heroin addiction, for example, um, the truth is the only one that's going to stay on that regimen is you with your mind. Ultimately, there is only one way. It's the only way that people get over an addiction, quote unquote, is by themselves in their mind. So, so without the human mind taking control, who does take control? If the drug is actually in control, then how come everybody isn't a drug-taking zombie? How come they're not masturbating till their, their penis falls off bloody? It's, that, it, that's just not reality. Nope. It's just not reality. We have to stop talking in these ideas and, and not think about what we're saying. We, got, we, we have to think about what we're saying. By not thinking about what we're saying, we're saying, I'm powerless. Are you really? Are you really powerless? That's an absolute. Does the drug actually have control of you or are you still thinking? The fact that you, you could even ask these questions means you're a thinking creature, yeah. you know? So we have to, we have to stop talking about this. Like there is some nebulous force in behavioral addictions or in substance use problems. I want to say something about the porn masturbation issue. That's probably going to get us shit. Okay, but I, I want to say it. One of the reasons, first of all, that we haven't written a book about it or that, that, that we focused on substance use is because people die um, from, from taking too many drugs. They die. Um, people die from the idea that they're powerless when they're taking drugs. That's right. Um, and so, so we focused much of our attention, all of our attention, on the drug and alcohol issue because- it, it can kill it can kill you literally um and the belief in powerlessness kills um with respect to these behavioral addictions not so much right nobody dies from masturbating too much they don't and i and the other part thing i want to say about it is we have had such an influx towards the end of this year uh, i guess there was a, a a bunch of reddit streams about the freedom model and 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 in in pmo groups um on reddit and um we've had a, a flood of of people buying your book. And I think it's wonderful thing. We're, we're very happy. We're grateful mm -hmm. that you've come in. And, um, but I wonder, and I'm going to say this, how many people are honestly doing, you know, PMO to the exclusion of everything else in their life. Um, you know, you don't, you don't, when people ingest alcohol and go on a binge. In some cases, they will hide away and binge until somebody finds them unconscious on the floor. Or dead. Or dead. Okay. And and with respect to, to porn, a lot of times I think people feel like they have a problem because there's a moral they have they feel morally like it's bad. And so even if they do it once a day, they're thinking they have a serious problem with it um, or twice a day or three times a day. I mean, I, I have three, three sons. <laughs> I mean, I know about young men and, and what they do. Yeah. And, and I think it's probably pretty natural and normal um, to a certain extent. But if you have a religious upbringing that shames you for even thinking about it, well, then you might feel like, oh, 
this is a serious problem for me. When your problem isn't an addiction per se, your problem is your beliefs around it. Yeah. I, I yeah, mean, yeah. Do you know it's, what I'm trying to say? Of course. Yeah. If you frame it out in a moralistic way, then the morals are the issue. The issue and and whether you decide to comply with your morals or not is a choice. Is a choice, but it's also that's the issue. Yes. Um, so so that really is outside the realm of the freedom model completely. It's not an addiction. Yeah, it's not an addiction. That's a moral question. Yes. So so then the question becomes: is this moral question something I want to guide my life by? And some people will, and some people really don't want to. You're going to do what you actually want to do. The other thing is, and I, I think Michelle touched on this, if you have the moralistic view and you believe it's an addiction, something you can't oh, stop, well, now now you've double screwed yourself because because now- No pun intended. <laughs> yeah, because now you, you've, you really, really believe that you can't stop and if it's a moral issue, you have to ask yourself, by what force is this happening to you? Now you're making up forces, just like evil the, forces. Yeah, right. Right. Now you're making that up in your mind, and and you're you're creating your own straw man, and it just goes down the same line. So, as, as substances do, the, yeah. the so yeah. All of this, all of this, and trust me, there's the moralistic view of alcohol and drugs too that we have oh, to absolutely. that we have to calm people down and say, listen, taking a drug or masturbating or doing these things aren't inherently bad. It's it, the question is with the habit, is it wrecking your life? Yes. You know, is, is it, it negatively impacting your life to an extent? Is it problematic? Yeah, that's you, the term we use. Exactly. Exactly. So and so. That's really, if you want to say what an addiction is, because we actually had this in our in our monthly discussion um, with our online program members yesterday. Um, if you want to say what an addiction actually is, it's it's a habit um, that you deem as problematic. But but I want to be really careful. It's it, that you personally deem as problematic. Yes. So I, you might have somebody that drinks every single day. Uh, two and, glasses of wine, or or let's say they drink a case of beer every day. Mm -hmm. I know guys that, oh, that drink true. massively heavily, and but it's not an, a moral issue to them, and they live their lives and they live chaotic lives. Don't get me wrong, and it's it, it, it from the it, outside it has high costs it, from the outside observer. They've they've had tremendous problems, but you know what? In their society, their culture, it's a non-issue, right? So right. so it's all it's all personal. It's all personal. If somebody wants to go out and and break both legs in racing cars and has the potential to die and they have two small kids at home and and everybody rallies against that person because they don't agree with it, but that person wants to take that risk and live the life the way they want to, they should be allowed to do that. For God's sakes, we're, we're autonomous creatures. So you have to determine at what level these things are a part of your life. But my God, if you, if you say it's an addiction, now you've given it a label that gives it power. It doesn't actually possess oh, that's a great point because there, there is no entity that is gaming against you. There is no biohacking happening. Get rid of this idea that there's some sort of powerlessness narrative. It's bullshit. You've been taught that.
so so let's let's bring this into the realm of it's January, okay? It's January, the year just started. And oh, I, I don't care who you are and a lot of people rally against New Year's resolutions and everything, but but it is a hard reset for a lot of people. Yeah. It is especially because we've come off the holidays with maybe you've partied a little too much, maybe you've eaten a little too much, you've gotten off your exercise regimen or whatever it is, and you come into January like, "Hmm, it's time to time to reset." If you view it that I'm solving an addiction, it's going to be a lot harder than if you view it like I'm making these few changes in my life. Yeah, I'm making a choice about my life and I want to challenge what I believe about this relationship I have with porn, with drinking, with cocaine. With food. With food, with, with whatever habit. And I refuse to be guilty about it. Yeah. And, and I, I, I want to end with this idea about guilt too, because it's really the beginning point. Oh, so we're going to end with the beginning of how to solve these issues. Whether you believe it's a moral question with any quote unquote addiction. First of all, I, when I use the word, I say quote unquote constantly because addiction as a compelled behavior is nonsense. It doesn't exist. Okay. We are never compelled. We choose. Okay. So if you have a moralistic view about the choices you're making, if you have a, you feel bad about that and you feel guilty and you're going to have to just take that guilt and that moralistic view and put it on a shelf because you are using or doing these behaviors because you like it at some level. Absolutely. So, so we always go back to this in every single podcast because people want to skip this step. They want to skip the idea. They go, yeah, yeah, I know. I like it. Yeah. No, you're terrified to say that. You've been taught not to say it. You've been taught that you're a dirty bastard for saying it. And you're even thinking it. You don't want to analyze why you like it. You don't even want to look at it. That's right. That's right. So it's really important. The only way to look at it is to take that shame, that guilt, that hiding all the deviance you feel around it. Put all that on the shelf temporarily. You can always pick it up later. I tell people that. You won't once you figure this out though. And then you look at it and you say, why do I like it? What, I like what it? am I getting out of this? This is not an addiction. You have to first say that. Yep. This is not an addiction. This is a choice that I'm making, but there's reasoning behind it. And is some of the reasoning that I believe it's an addiction. Sometimes when we get rid of this idea of addiction, we get rid of compelled behavior and we realize that that's a bunch of bunk, and we pull it back into the realm of choice, we suddenly go, well, since it's not an addiction, I guess I can choose differently. Yep. Then there's the people more like me that had built a whole bunch of magic around it, giving it a whole bunch of credit for things I was doing in my life and, and giving a whole bunch of credit for escapism and stress relief and all these things when it really wasn't doing that. It was me doing that all along. So I just dropped the drugs. I dropped, I dropped the things that were making me feel bad. And I did stress relief myself without those things. And I suddenly realized, oh, I never needed those things to begin with. This is not a small point. No. That's how you solve these things. <laughs> That's how you solve these things. You start taking credit for your decisions. But you can't do that with morals or or guilt or shame being in the way and making you feel like crap because that's what you will focus on and that will drive the behavior even worse.
Yeah. We, we had, I, I, I know he wanted to close it, but we're still a little early. We're still just at 30 minutes. So uh, we had somebody, though, what, what started this whole discussion for us this morning when we chose this topic was we had somebody make a request through email. And by the way, if you are a listener and you want us to talk about a certain topic, in, you can email us at info at thefreedommodel.org and, and let us know. It starts great discussions for us. So this person said, can you discuss the difference between a want and a need? And that's and, and it blossomed into this topic. Um, you know, there it's the want and the need question is, is an interesting one um, because if you feel like you need alcohol, right, to do all of these magical things for you, well, then you're going to want to want to do it all the time. If you feel like, if you just, like we do every once in a while, I want a glass of wine and, and I got brand new wine glasses for Christmas, really, really pretty ones. And so, and a case of wine, my husband gets me a case of wine every year. It lasts most of the year for me, <laughs> but, but I was so excited the other night, even though I, I'm getting over a cold. Um, I was like, Ooh, I want my pretty wine glass. And so I want to, to sit and feel sophisticated for a little while. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, but I know I don't need a glass of wine for any reason. This is a great topic. So we'll segue into this for, for a few minutes too. So there are very few actual needs in the human condition and, you know, we have the hierarchy of need, right? Um, and you, you need to sustain life, physical life. You need to breathe. You need to breathe. You need food. You know, you don't even need to procreate. So that, that kind of goes out the window. That's not a need. That's, that's a want. Yep. Some people don't procreate, right? Some people don't have sex or asexual people. Yep. Um, th there's a lot of preference around sexuality. Um, but so you need food, you need air, you got to breathe, you, you need some exercise, you need water. Or your, your body will atrophy, you know? So there's certain things that are so obvious that, that are needs. And every single thing else is a want. And people say, well, you need close relationships. You need connection. I said, I'm not, not sure everybody. about that. I, I've met people who are hermits. I've met people. I have a brother. I actually have two siblings who completely say, I don't like people. And I don't, I, I literally, they don't cohabitate with others. They don't talk to the family. They don't have friends. They don't do anything of the sort. And they're perfectly happy that way. Yeah. They're happier to be completely isolated than they are to have any social life whatsoever. Um, and, and they, they express that and they're very okay with it. So, so this idea that we need, we have all these emotional needs. I'm not sure all of that is true. If you, if you've had the privilege of going to a third world country, and I say privilege because suddenly you'll realize what need is, and what one mm, is, and you point. will realize also that the relationships and the way people live is very different in different places in the world. And you suddenly realize that the American or the Western view is really screwed up in a lot of ways. So, um, so you learn a lot, you learn to see things very differently. And, uh, most of life is wants yes. our positive drive, driving our personal autonomous wants. And let's get rid of the word addiction completely. Let's yeah. get rid of, let's just say, I choose my life the way I choose it on the basis of the knowledge I have. But if you can get rid of guilt, 
if you can get rid of shame, if you can get rid of the word addiction, if you can get rid of the word compulsion or compelled and just erase all of that just temporarily and open the window and say, let me look at my life without all those judgments yes. and say, is, am I satisfied with the things that I do and the things that I've decided for myself? Suddenly you find that maybe five out of the 10 don't work anymore and you let them go. That's the natural process of your positive drive making you evolve. It's the normal way humans behave. Now, I want to say one other thing. There's a nuance with guilt. Sometimes we actually don't feel guilty about substance use. We feel guilty about the things we've done while drunk and high. Mm. And those are things in a lot of cases we can't change. And so you just have to let those go. Yeah, and there the is no other the solution that you can't yeah. change. Yeah, there's it's really one of those things where you go, oh, my God, you know, I wish I could change that, but I can't. And those are the ones you leave on the shelf. Well, and you've tried to fix the behavior, of course. Yes, exactly. I wanted to clarify that. That doesn't mean that you act a certain way because you're drunk. He's not saying no, that. No, not at all. He's saying that things you may have done in the past while drinking. The regrets. You, the regrets you can conflate with. Oh, drinking caused that. Drinking never caused that. Your beliefs surrounding drinking um, led you in that direction, right? If you believe I cheat when I drink, um, then you probably were going to cheat when you drank. Um, but but drinking in and of itself doesn't make you cheat. Right. Um, and so, so if you move forward in your life, I, I really think if you're going to do anything in January um, to change your life for the better, setting aside shame and guilt um, about, about certain, your certain desires and likes and analyzing them instead. Um, you know, do I still like this? How much do I still like it? It is probably a really great place to start. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> so, so I hope everybody, um, had a really happy new year and yeah, we'll be back next week. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so look at, if you, if you like our podcast, Wherever you listen to it, please give us a, a five-star rating and share it with your friends. And if you're trying to leave AA, remember, we have now have a standalone deprogramming course or NA or whatever 12-step program you're you're in. Um, we have a 12-step deprogramming course. And you can see where all of that began and really let it go. We also have the new Freedom Model online program app. Oh my gosh, I almost forgot. That <laughs> yeah. literally just went live. Um, An hour ago. Yeah. So uh, I will, this is going to be released next week. So it's been live for a week when you got it. Um, so yeah, go to the Google Play Store or the Apple Store, the App Store, um, and you can find it, the Freedom Model app. That's right. All right, everybody. All right. Have a great week. Have a great week. Are you struggling with a drug or alcohol problem, but you don't want to go to rehab or group meetings? That's why we created the non-12-step Freedom Model Coaching Program in 2011. Through video conferencing on Zoom or Skype, you can work privately with a certified Freedom Model Coach from your home or office on your schedule. And here's the best part. With the Freedom Model, you'll never be labeled an addict or an alcoholic, and we won't tell you to go to 12-step meetings or hamper your life with endless recovery rituals. Instead, you can learn exactly why addiction isn't a disease and how you can solve the problem for good and move on with your life. Do you want to be completely free from your addiction? 
Do you want to never have to attend meetings, rehabs, or addiction counseling ever again? And do you want to solve your problem from the comfort of home? Then call us at 888-424-2626 to talk with a Freedom Model coach today and experience the Freedom Model difference.